One of the first prayers people often learn as Christians is the Lord's Prayer, which is as much a guide on how to pray as an actual prayer. We at our church have our weekly and monthly prayer guide that we ask all of our members to pray. Six days a week we pray these prayers, either as written or as a springboard for deeper prayer. We're spending six weeks going over what makes each of these prayer topics important. This series, for us, will finish next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, when we will engage in purposeful prayer with the whole Wesleyan denomination, that we will be together, filled and sent, which aligns with how Jesus' disciples prayed together as they awaited the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. I mentioned one of the prayers that I can safely say all Christians pray is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, etc., etc. But like last week's prayer for multiplying disciples, there's another prayer that Jesus prayed that I believe Christians should also pray. Jesus prayed for his followers to have unity. If Jesus also prayed this prayer, I believe I should pray it. If I pray it, I should also live it. Prayer for the unity of the church is our fifth topic in our weekly prayer schedule. And Jesus prays this prayer in John 17:13 through 23. Jesus says, Now I am coming to you, and I, I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe in you, believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one. That the world may know you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. In this prayer, Jesus prays for Christians to be united to God and unified with each other. Our unity with each other reflects being united to God. So my points today are going to expand on how Jesus says his followers are united to God, and the application will be how that divine unity unites us to each other. The first thing we should see about our unity with God and other followers of Jesus is disciples are like God in distinction. Distinction means unique from something else, uncommon. Theologically, it means set apart as special or for special use. Being distinct comes from the ideas of holiness and sanctification. Jesus called himself sanctified or set apart because he had a special work from God. We see the distinction of God from the beginning of time. In Genesis, God is within creation but distinct from it. God is creator uncreated. In the beginning, God created. Genesis 1.1 the Spirit of God moves over the formless, empty darkness and watery depths, Genesis 1-2. But the Spirit of God is neither formless nor empty darkness nor watery depths. 
God walks in the garden during the evening breeze. This seems to be a physical manifestation of God because the sound of God walking through the garden can be heard. However, God is not the garden, the evening, nor the breeze. Nor is God one of the human imagers he is going to visit. God is distinct from all creation. Followers of Jesus are human beings, so we are part of creation. But Jesus does say that his disciples are not unified with the world. When God became man, God took on part of creation to himself. Yet Jesus was also distinct from the world. So world cannot mean earth or even a society. In the New Testament, the world refers to things in creation that are passing away because they are under the control of Satan, the ruler of this world, the evil one. Speaking of the ruler of this world, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. John 12:31. And I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. John 14:30. Jesus as a human is distinct from anything under the power of Satan, which will not last. Jesus' followers are called to be distinct in that same way. 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31 This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for this world in its current form is passing away. Also, 1 John 2.17, And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. This is why Jesus proclaims in his prayer that his disciples are not of the world, even though we are in it. And while we are in it, we are protected from the evil one. The easiest way I can think of being in a place but not of a place is going to visit someone in the hospital. When I go visit someone in the hospital, I'm not a doctor, nurse, administrator, or any other type of staff. I'm also not a patient. Also, someone can't just grab me and give me a shot or a procedure. I'm protected from harm because even though I move in that space to do good, I do not belong to that space. I also don't pretend and put on a white coat and act like I'm a doctor of medicine. After I earn my doctorate, I'm not going to present myself at the hospital as Dr. Tillman. To be distinct from the world, I have to know where I actually belong. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is just like those who came before me in the faith, as Hebrews 11:13 through 14 says. These all died in the faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Peter calls us strangers and exiles in the world. 1 Peter 2:11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Thus, because I am distinct from the world, I do not engage in the sinful behaviors or desires that this world ruled by the evil one does. John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Being distinct from the world has benefits for me. To live in God's kingdom is a blessing and life-giving. But Jesus also tells me one challenge to living distinct from the world. John 15, 18-19 If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. When I don't act like everyone else in the world, the world doesn't like that. It's not that I have a proud, holier-than-thou attitude, but my culture is different from what the godless culture around me wants me to do and wants me to worship. I'm different from fallen creation. My economics is different because I'm a steward, not a profiteer. My politics is different because I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. My morality is different because I'm holy. My treatment of life, both mine and others, my body and the bodies of others, is different because I'm a restored imager of God and I believe everyone is created in the image of God. This may be the most challenging day-to-day aspect of having unity with God, being distinct from everything that is not God. But disciples are to be united to God and each other. Disciples are like God in distinction and disciples are like God in image. I'm not going to go into today about how all human beings are in the image of God, but focus specifically on how followers of Jesus are like God in image. For that, we need to know what an image is. An image looks like something else that's more real or of greater dimension. An image reflects a reality. An image represents another. And from an ancient perspective, an image may also be living. If the original is living, its image may also have life. Thus, idol makers would have a life-giving ceremony for the idols they made. But Moses, Joshua, David, King Hezekiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, Peter, Jesus, and Paul all affirm that the only true God is the living God, the God of the living. Let's go again to Genesis. God speaks of his own deity in plural language. Let's make human beings in our image, according to our likeness. Genesis 1.26 Yet a core characteristic of God is oneness. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6.4 God is a singular unity, distinct from all creation. God has oneness in person, and disciples have oneness in Christ. In his prayer, Jesus gives attributes of his followers which show who they image. Jesus says his disciples have the word. John 1.1 says Jesus is the word. Disciples are unified in the word. Jesus says his disciples are sanctified in truth. Sanctified means set apart or distinct. We've already covered that. And distinct in the truth, Jesus says. John 14.6, Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. So disciples have a unity in the truth. Jesus says his disciples are one with God and each other. And Jesus prays that same prayer that they be one with his disciples. Disciples are given glory and loved by the Father. And Jesus also is given glory and loved by the Father. Disciples being like God in image has two major ramifications. First, we are unified with God. I'm not God because God is distinct, but I am still united to God's life and love and glory. 
Ephesians 4, 4-6 says, There's one body and one spirit, as you are called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, in all, and through all. The second ramification of being like God in image is that I have unity and peace with every other imager of God. Ephesians 2.14 For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. Again, the challenge is to actually live in those two unities, at peace with God and at peace with each other. Sure, it's a challenge sometimes, but for those in Christ it can be done. There's no hope of seeing God outside of the unity of Jesus Christ, and there's no hope of unity between groups without unity in Christ. You know why there's no peace in the Middle East? Christ has not returned to Jerusalem. You know the difference between the outcomes of the 1960s United States Civil Rights Movement and the current Black Lives Matter movement? The 1960s United States Civil Rights Movement was led by followers of Jesus Christ, but the Black Lives Matter movement is largely led by people who don't know peace. They have the right cause, but no divine power. We have the divine power to lead people to live in peace with God and each other because disciples are like God in image. Disciples are like God in distinction, in image, and disciples are like God in purpose. Back to Genesis again. Chapter 3. The man and the woman disobey, and what does God do? God goes into the world. God judges the disobedience, but also makes a way for salvation, immediate and future. The human population grows and doesn't know or honor God. What does God do? God incarnates and Jesus goes into the world. Jesus judges the disobedience, but also makes a way for salvation, immediate and future. Jesus as a man only reaches a population within about a 6,000 square miles, about the size of Connecticut. What does God do so that everyone else in the world can know the way of salvation? The Holy Spirit goes into the world. God's purpose is to go into the world and save it. And that's also my purpose. Our purpose is followers of Jesus. Matthew 28:19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That singular purpose is why we must work to maintain unity. I was at camp one summer, and the counselors were put in a four-way tug-of-war contest. The rope was a circle, and we four competitors were each harnessed to the rope. One of us tried to pull north, another south, another east, and another west. I realized quickly that I couldn't overwhelm three other people. The way to win was for me to give a little to my right as I tried to move forward, and then give a little to my left as I tried to move forward. The problem was that only worked in theory. In practice, because everyone was pulling with all their might in different directions, all I could do was dig in and hold my position. I couldn't win, but I could make sure nobody else won either. That is the exact opposite of how the church is supposed to work. We're all supposed to pull in the same direction, same team, same purpose. We're not competing against other Christians. We battle the evil ruler of this world who is already defeated, but he wins 
when we are too busy battling each other. This is why we try and do purposeful approaches together. Who is your one not yet Christian you are doing life with? Christians also lose when we fight for the wrong purpose. There's a peer-reviewed study just published this month in the Journal of Sociology and Religion that found evidence of why Christianity declines in social influence. The secularization thesis that science, technology, and education would result in Christianity's declining social influence is incorrect. The theory that the accumulation of wealth and increasing prosperity is incorrect. And I'm going to quote, The most important determinant of Christian vitality is the extent to which governments give official support to Christianity through their laws and policies. However, it is not in the way devout believers might expect. As governmental support for Christianity increases, the number of Christians declines significantly. This relationship holds even when accounting for other factors that might be driving Christian growth rates, such as overall demographic trends. End quote. Christianity is the strongest when it has to compete with other faith traditions on an equal playing field. Christianity does best when it has low or no government support or even persecution and has to fend for itself. The more privilege Christianity has from the state, the less effective Christianity becomes in that nation and Christianity declines. We are to go into the world to save the world, not to become the world. So our purpose is not politics or political power. Another myth we have in the United States is that of the individual hero. Davy Crockett, Paul Bunyan, John Henry. It's even in our superhero movies today. But let's take a final lesson from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Black Panther, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Doctor Strange, the Hulk, Spider-Man, Ant-Man, the Wasp, and the Guardians of the Galaxy. They're all cool and heroic, and they lose when they fight each other. They win when the Avengers assemble. Disciples are united to God and each other. Distinct imagers with one purpose. Our psalm of the day is Psalm 104. I'll pray from that and then go into our prayer for unity. How countless are your works, Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. All of them wait for you to give them their food at the right time. When you give it to them, they gather it. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you send your breath, they are created, and you renew the surface of the ground. May sinners vanish from the earth, and wicked people be no more. Our one Lord, who calls one people, we thank you for the unity of the Spirit, which has provided for our congregation and denomination. We pray that we may be perfectly united in mind and thought and purpose, that there be no walls between us, and that we relate to each other as family, so that your peace may be our witness. I leave you with this blessing. May the Lord, who has never failed in any of his good promises, who does not leave or forsake his own, may he turn your hearts to him to walk in his ways and keep his commands that he gave our fathers in the faith.